Well, it was a kids' party, and they did kids' parties like really, really big, bigger than almost anything. We're talking brought in a backyard circus, had pony rides, everything. The spread was an absolute feast, and we were friends, so we got an invitation. We were happy. We took our boys to the party, and while the kids were all outside doing some of the activities that were going on at the birthday party, I made my way inside where there was just an amazing spread of, of food and drinks being set out, and I went over, and, and I saw there, there was a drink table, and as I was looking at the different options that they had to drink, they came out with two giant pitchers, and they put them down, and I, I looked at the tags, and one was water, and one was sangria, and then I went back into the kitchen because I decided what I was going to eat would decide ultimately the drink, and there were tons of drink options available there. And all of a sudden, as I was standing in the kitchen next to the wife of the host of the party, two people, two neighbors that were really good friends with the host came busting into the kitchen. And the first was the wife, and she said, this sangria, it's missing something. It just doesn't, just doesn't taste right. In a couple seconds after the wife had said that, her husband, the neighbor, came in and said, well, somebody here's performing a miracle, because this water is the best water I've ever drank in my life. And the host husband had messed up the drink cards. He put the sangria where the water was supposed to be, and the water where the sangria was supposed to be. Now, luckily, all the kids were still outside. And then they decided, we're going to come up with an entirely different format for how we serve the drinks today, because this could be really, really bad. One container was missing the main ingredient. The other container was full of something it shouldn't have had in it. And as we wrap up our look at relationships today, we're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, probably some of the most famous verses in the Bible about love, probably some of the most famous verses in the Bible, period. And what we're going to see is how oftentimes in our relationships, the turmoil and the tension, it can all be traced back to one of two things. And one is sometimes the main ingredient is missing. Or other times, our relationship's built on an ingredient that shouldn't have been there at all. If you have your phones or your tablets, I'd invite you to follow along with us this morning in the Bible app. It's a free resource that you can find in whatever app store you utilize. And once you install the Bible app on your device, the feature that we use every week together is called Events. You can either enable your locations or write in Lakeside, Algoma will pop up. You can follow along with us that way. If you have a traditional Bible with you this morning, we're going to, again, be in the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We're going to start in verse 4 in just a minute. If you're joining us via the stream this morning, thanks so much for joining us. My name is Brian, and I'm part of the team here at Lakeside, and the verses will be available for you on the screen below. We're going to get there in just a minute. Uh, but before we do that, we acknowledge that, you know, Scripture was originally written in two primary languages. There, there was a, a third language, the, 
the Old Testament was written primarily in Hebrew. There is a little section of Aramaic there as well. The New Testament was written in Greek. And, and because we have to translate things, languages don't always translate over, over in a word-for-word way. You have to you have to sometimes recognize there's limitations in certain languages. Other languages have more words. And so when we get to Scripture, there are different kinds of love that are referred to in Scripture that we translate as love. So I'm just going to tell you this, and, and this is what you need to know about when we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. That the word for love here is actually agape in Greek, and what that means is this. Ancient Greeks used several different words in their language to describe different forms of love. Originally, agape, the word that we're going to talk about today in 1 Corinthians 13, referred to a familial or spouse affection without a romantic or sexual connotation. It was contrasted with eros, a term for sexual passion, and philia, a term for strong friendship. So where we would just say love in all three of those situations, Greek, the Greek language had different, different words for it. And the problem is, like we've already talked about, that if any one of those components is missing in our relationships, they aren't as strong as they should be. And similarly, if, if our relationships are built on any one of those components, whether it's just we're just friends and there really isn't the attraction, or it's just we're just really attracted and it's, it's all about the sexual connection and there's really nothing beyond that, then what we find are relationships that struggle over the course. So today, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 13 and understand God's design for love. We begin in the first part of 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4, where we read these words, love is patient and kind. Love is patient and kind. Now, I would encourage you, whether you're on your device or, or in the seat back in front of you, there should be a, a little lakeside note card that you can write notes on. I would encourage you over the course of today to make two categories. Two categories. One that says love is, and the other that says love isn't. Because as God defines love for us, we're going to see that we're told both what love is as well as what love is not. And so right off the bat, the first word that we're told that love is, is patient. That love is patient and love is kind. And as someone who, is, who serially in his life struggles with the concept and the idea of patience and who has asked God on one occasion, God help me with patience, and only one occasion because God answered that prayer and the affirmative and I still regret praying it to this day, I don't really love the fact that patient is the first word that we're told here. But it is. And it's not about what I like or what I want. Love is patient. Now, I'm just going to define a lot of these words, and then we're going to wrestle with the concept of what it actually means. Patience, the capacity to accept or tolerate delay, trouble, or suffering without getting angry or upset. I think that's absolutely perfect. Because what every one of us recognizes is if 
you love someone, you will experience delay, trouble, and suffering. It's just the reality. It's just the reality. And the first thing we're told is love is patient. So let me ask you this. How do you do when 10 minutes turns into 30? Just a question. Guys, you're, you can be on time places or your wife can have long hair, but it's not, you can't have both. It just does not work. And you're going to have to, you're just going to have to acknowledge that and recognize it. How do you do when 10 minutes turns into 30 minutes? How do you do when the thing that you have desired and you've planned and you have seen on HGTV and the Instagram blogs and, and you're like Chip and Joanna or they're still around and they're doing this and you've got your heart set on the project and all of a sudden you hear the news, we're going to have to delay this. How do you do when you hear that news? That love, <laughs> celebrate. <laughs> You're still going to have to foot the bill sooner or later, so that celebration's going to be short-lived. <laughs> love is patient, and it's kind. Kindness, the quality of being friendly, generous, and considerate. Let me ask you this. Are you friends with your spouse? Do you enjoy them? And not just, not just in a sexual connotation. Do you enjoy your spouse? Do you enjoy being with your spouse? Do you enjoy time together? Do you enjoy conversation? Do you enjoy doing things together? Are you on the same page? Are you upset? Anytime they go out and spend money, you can spend money and you're fine with that, but they go and they get something they need and you're like, what are you doing? How's that connection? The first two things we're told about love is that it is patient and it is kind. Now we get to the is not category. Love does not envy or boast. Love does not envy or boast. Love isn't envious. Love isn't boastful. Envy, a feeling of discontent or resentment. Longing aroused by someone else's possessions, qualities, or luck. Do you resent your spouse? Do you resent the choices and decisions that they make because they're not your choices? Because they process things differently? Do you long, when you look at your life and you're sucked into the vortex of social media, do you long for someone else's life? And has that clouded your reality to the point that you miss the blessings that you're surrounded by? Because your focus is out there. And you look at what other people have and you think they have it so much better. I'll just ask this question. You probably don't want to answer this out loud if it's the affirmative. Do you long after who 
someone else has. You look at your spouse and think, ugh, I promised forever to them. Some of you better be careful right now. Going to be a long drive home. Love is not envious. Love is not boastful. Boast to talk with excessive pride and self-satisfaction about one's achievements. And, and this is what's so, so interesting, that boasting is the other side of the coin of jealousy. It's in, boasting's intent is to make others jealous. It's the other side of that coin. Is your love full of boasting? Have you elevated yourself and in the process put your partner down? Verse 4 ends this way in the very first part of verse 5 says this, it is not arrogant or rude. So again, we have some more categories to add to the love is not category. Love is not arrogant. Love is not rude. Arrogance is the exaggerated sense of your own importance. So let me ask you this question. What specific way this weekend have you served your spouse? What specific way this weekend have you served your spouse? Well, Brian, you don't understand. If my spouse would do this for me, then I, no, 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 no. You're responsible for you. What specific way have you served your spouse this weekend? Now, some of you are really lucky because the cold, flu, COVID, whatever thing's been going around like crazy lately. And so if you have a sick spouse right now, well, that's an easy answer. But if your spouse wasn't sick, what ways have you specifically served them this week? Love is not arrogant. It isn't always about me. It isn't rude, impolite, or ill-mannered. It's a reminder that we need to practice graciousness. And sometimes the hardest place that it is to be gracious is in our own homes. Do you say everything that pops into your mind? Do you have a filter? I went to the hardware store yesterday, thoughts and prayers for Brooke and the boys. Uh, but don't worry, the, the project isn't anything too, too in-depth. But I'm in a hardware store, and I generally have an idea of the layout, but not always. And so I was, I was looking for something, and I couldn't find it right away. And I was going up and down every aisle because the person that they had working who was stocking the shelves looked more lost than me. Uh, so it was uh, honestly strangely comforting. Uh, but as I, was, <laughs> as, I was, as I was walking through the store, I ended up in, in the section, and all of a sudden there's furnace filters. And it was just a reminder that, you know, filters can wear down over time. 
And maybe you think, yeah, my, my filter's good. But the face of everybody around you tells a different story. And if that's the case, maybe you should find somebody that you love and that can be honest with you and ask, am I losing my filter? And I get it. In certain situations, you want to lose your filter, and that's great, and that can be boldness and and everything else. But if your loss of filter is hurting the people that you love the most, probably need to fix that. Love isn't arrogant. It isn't rude. We need to serve people. We need to serve our spouse. We need to be gracious to people. We need to be gracious to our spouse. Next, we see this. It does not insist on its own way. And let me just say this. This is the biggest problem of all. This is the biggest problem of every relationship. Love does not insist on its own way. Why do I say this is the biggest problem in every relationship? Because this is the root of all sin. And this is something in our culture that we have just said, this is fantastic. This has become a virtue in our, in our society. And some of you would wring your hands and you'd be like, yeah, look at, look at what you millennials and people younger than you've done with your, your TikToks and your internet memes and everything else. Meanwhile, you were rocking out to Sinatra on the record player sing My Way. This is nothing new. It goes back to the garden. The root of all sin is just that, that we insist, I want what I want when I want it. And we are told that that is not love. That love does not insist on its own way. We're adding more to the what love is not category It is not irritable or resentful. Love is not irritable or resentful, irritable, easily annoyed or angry. I decided I didn't want to go to prison this week, so I did my taxes. And uh, that's, you know, I, I don't, whatever your political views are. I don't know anyone that loves the process of filing their taxes. I just don't know anyone, I, you know, trying to fill out all these forms and trying to keep every cent that I can, but be honest, and then there's questions that I'm like, ooh, I really should just pay somebody to do this for me, but I'm cheap, so I don't want to do that. And so I've just got files everywhere, and I've got the doors to my office closed, and my children are outside of my office existing, and it was really annoying. They were just existing. They weren't in, even in being intentionally obnoxious, but they were just there, and I could hear them, and it wasn't their fault, but they were there, and I'm like, you need to go away. They're like, we live here, and I'm like, if you keep this up, not for long, figure it out. They're like, dad's grumpy, and I was. And the damage wasn't even that bad. But I, I was just, I was there, I was irritable. And I shouldn't have been. 
Some people walk through life that way. Just ready to fight. All the time. Over really trivial things. Love is not resentful. Feeling or expressing bitterness or indignation. So let me, let me help you. When, not if, when you have problems in your marriage, deal with it now. Don't allow it to fester. Don't allow it to grow. Scripture says, don't let the sun go down while you're angry. And I recognize sometimes the problems are going to reveal themselves, and it's after midnight, and you're not at your best because you're exhausted. And so it's not a sin for you to go to bed that night. But the intent of Scripture is, no, you deal with it. You deal with it immediately. It is not sin for you to get a good night's sleep, but what would be sin is for you to allow that anger to drag into the next day. need to deal with it that morning. Some of you are still in the doghouse for things you did in 1992. Doesn't have been dealt with. And don't get me wrong, you were really stupid in 1992, but it's just never been dealt with or forgiven. Resentment will ruin things. Deal with the problem while it's new. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing. Let me ask you this. What do you celebrate? As a couple, as a family, what do you celebrate? Because what you celebrate is what you'll repeat. What you celebrate is what you will repeat. So what are the things that you celebrate? And I would just say this. Don't celebrate things that are wrong. Don't celebrate things that are wrong. And this is the last negative that's on the list. And now we go back to the positive category of what love is, where we started. But love rejoices with the truth, but rejoices with the truth. It actively chooses to celebrate things that are right. Now, when I was in fourth grade, I made the school spelling bee. There really should have been some applause there. Uh, I'm just kidding. It's, it's really not that incredible of an accomplishment. But I made the school spelling bee when I was in the fourth grade, and I made it all the way into the fifth round. Again, should have been applause, but okay, we'll just deal with that. Made it into the fifth round. And after every, after every round where you spelled the word right, the, they, they made everybody from the school come and watch. I told my dad I'd be in the spelling bee. My mom was a teacher, so she got the get-out-of-jail-free card. He came from work, and I swear I kept seeing him check his watch in the, in the stands because I think he knew and everybody else in that gym knew, Brian's not winning this one, so let's just... Uh, Let's just see how long this one's going to last. And he was a great dad. I'm not saying he wasn't a, a good dad. I'd probably be doing the same thing uh, if I had to go watch a spelling bee. Just really not my jam, all right? You know, mix, whatever. If the spelling bee's your thing, that's really cool. You're way smarter than me, and teach me. Because I need word, you know, the, the word correction on every document 
that I typed. But at the end of every round, when you got the word right, they would clap. And then in the fifth round, I got the word wrong. And there was silence. Because I grew up in an era where everybody didn't get a trophy just for breathing. And everybody wasn't coddled and told, you're incredible just for doing normal things. And so I had to take the walk of shame in silence where I was then eliminated from the spelling bee. Why? Because everybody clapped when things were right. When they were wrong, they didn't clap. Now, I'm not debating the merits of whether or not we should encourage kids when they, when they mess up. I don't think that would hurt anything. But that was a picture to me that, that stuck with me and that I remember. The people were excited when I got the word right. But when I got it wrong, they weren't excited. And we need to bring that into our relationships as well. That love rejoices with the truth. It celebrates the truth. And we live in a time where, where, where truth has been devalued so much. And in our relationships, what we have to recognize is there are things that are right and there are things that are wrong and there is a way that we should love people and there is a way that we all deserve to be loved and those are the things that we should celebrate. Those are the things that we should rejoice. Love bears all things. Not most. Not some. All. It bears bad moods. It bears financial strife. It bears illness. It bears those times where you just feel disconnected. It bears hard times. It believes all things. It believes all things. That love is always optimistic. It's always choosing the best in the other. It's choosing trust over suspicion. It's choosing to see somebody and it's choosing to see the best in that person and refusing to see anything else especially in the moments that they infuriate us and they frustrate us. It's to take that step back, take a deep breath, and say, all right, they're handling it in a way that I would not handle it, and they're doing it way differently than I would do it. But God has wired them, and God has designed them, and they are an individual. And we thank God for that, and we praise God for that. We believe the best in one another. That love hopes all things. It hopes all things. It refuses to throw in the towel. Even when belief is under siege, it refuses to quit. It refuses to give up. And it endures all things. That love is strong. And it stands the test of time. I was scrolling through Facebook this week, and I saw something I have never seen before. 
And I have a friend who lives in another part of the country, and there was an incident with their home. There were strong winds, potentially tornadoes in the area, and they awoke in the middle of the night to just a loud, what sounded like an explosion almost. And they got up on their bedroom. They live in a two-story house. And what they found was that the neighbor's trampoline had been picked up by the wind and blown into the second story and the roof of their house. Where it collided and the metal legs come in. And there was obviously damage. Yet the structural integrity of the house, it stood strong. You are going to face danger. You are going to face turmoil. You're going to experience storms. And love endures it all. The first part of verse 8 says this. Love, it never ends. Love doesn't go away. It's eternal. And the reason that love is eternal is because its author and its source is God. So this is God's design. That our marriages would be permanent and they'd be fulfilling in the midst of the world being swept up in the Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey love story, there's been another young artist who's really come on the scene lately, and he's smashing records. His name's Noah Kahn, and his two most popular songs, one is Dial Drunk, and the other is Stick Season. I'm just going to read you some of the lyrics from Stick Season. As you promised me that I was more than all the miles combined, you must have had yourself a change of heart, like halfway through the drive, because your voice trailed off exactly as you passed my exit sign. Kept on driving straight and left our future to the right. Now I'm stuck between my anger and the blame that I can't face. And memories are something even smoking weed does not replace. And I'm terrified of weather because I see you when it rains. Doc told me to travel, but there's COVID on the plains. And I love Vermont, but it's the season of the sticks, and I saw your mom. She forgot that I existed, and it's half my fault. But I just like to play the victim. I'll drink alcohol till my friends come home for Christmas, and I'll dream each night of some version of you that I may not have, but I did not lose. Now your tire tracks and one pair of shoes, and I'm split in half, but that'll have to do. 
So I thought that if I piled something good on all my bad, that I could cancel out the darkness I inherited from dad. No, I am no longer funny because I miss the way you laugh. You once called me forever. Now you still can't call me back. Oh, that'll have to do. My other half was you. I hope this pain's just passing through. But I doubt it. And this is where relationships end. When we step outside of God's plan. There is a better way. It's harder. It requires more effort. It requires more work. It requires me to elevate someone else. And it's worth it. And it will lead to a relationship that is more fulfilling than we could ever imagine. The question is, are we willing to trust God? Are we willing to do it his way? God, I pray that you would help us. Love like you have designed us to love. I pray that the hurt and the heartache that so many have experienced and so many continue to experience and has become the norm in our society not be something that we have to endure. And I pray for the person right now, God, who is in the midst of that heartache. And I pray they would be comforted by your spirit. I pray they would not get jaded. I pray they wouldn't throw in the towel. I pray they wouldn't quit. I pray for the relationship that is broken right Pray you would mend it. Each partner would die to their own desires. They would follow your way, your path, and your plan. Remind us, God, how to love. Pray that we would all love well. Give us a renewed appreciation for the relationships that you've called us to. And help us push each other closer to you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.